Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. On DAB Digital Radio, online and on 1089 and 1053 AM, icon of all sporting broadcast media and jolly nice chap to boot, Motty Meats on Talk Sport. I'm John Motson, and on this edition of Motty Meets, I'm joined by the former Luton, Arsenal, Newcastle and England striker, the legendary number nine, Malcolm McDonald, Super Mac. Here comes Ross. Stapleton on the near post. McDonald! And there it is! The man that seems to write the football stories better than boys' fiction has gone and done it all over again. The goal, which saw Malcolm complete a famous hat-trick for Arsenal against his old club Newcastle back in 1976. Just one of 266 goals Supermax scored in his professional career at club and international level. We'll discuss more about that memorable game later. But first, Malcolm, let's begin in the 1950s. You were born and grew up in West London. I was, in actual fact. We lived in the street that led up to Craven Cottage from Fulham Palace Road. Um, and uh, one Christmas, I was eight, and I was given a, an autograph book for Christmas. So in the school holidays, I went up to the bus stop where all the Fulham players would arrive. There was only one who had a car in those days. That was Johnny Haynes. And uh, everybody else was arriving by one or other of the bus uh, routes. And... Um, I would hand the book to the guys as they were getting off the bus and they were all glad to sign it and have a couple of words. And, um, and then Bobby Robson got off and I said, could I have your autograph, please, Mr. Robson? And he said, of course, son. He said, hold this. And he gave me his bag, which I, and I collapsed to the ground. It was that heavy. And he just started walking off with me book, with me pen. And I followed. And we went along Fulham Palace Road down into Finlay Street and over his shoulder, he's saying, what do you play, son? And I'm struggling along with this heavy kit bag. And I said, yes, I do. I play for the primary school. He said, oh, what position do you play? I said, oh. Um, I said, sometimes centre-half, sometimes midfield, sometimes centre-forward. I said, it just depends on what's required. He said, oh, so you can play a bit then? I said, well, yeah, I can play a bit. He said, are you right-footed or left-footed? I said, oh, well, I'm left-footed. He said... There's always a spot for a left footer in any team, he said. The left foot balances it all up, makes the pitch big, makes it wide. And he said, you can always find space with a left footer. And so he carried on. 
and I was like getting this free team talk from him. And the Finlay Street was about 600 yards long. And we arrived at the gates and he was still talking. And he quickly signed my book, gave me the book and the pen, took the kit bag off, off me and disappeared through the gate. And that was it. Ten years later, it was just a little bit more, Fulham had paid Tunbridge £1,750 for my signature on a contract. And I'd gone up there to discuss it with a manager who happened to be Bobby Robson. I've gone in up the steps to the offices, which are above the dressing rooms in Craven Cottage, and I've asked at reception, uh, my name's Malcolm McDonald. I said, Mr. Robson's expecting me. And they said, go to the end uh, of the corridor, last door on the left. I've gone and I've knocked and there's a come in. I've gone in and I've stood just inside the door and I found out for Marrick Gates much later, who, who had been at Ipswich with Bobby Robson for years, that this was a trick that Bobby Robson played on everybody. He would leave you standing and he would just be sat hunched reading at his desk and he would just ignore you for four, five, six minutes and just leave you there sweating. And I thought, oh my word. And it, it was an interminable age. And finally, he's looked up and then he's looked again and sort of squinted and looked even harder at me. He said, I know you. He said, I know you, you're that little ragamuffin that used to meet all the players at the bus stop with the, with the autograph book, he said. And, and he said, and you followed me, he said, all the way down Finley Street. And he said, and do you know, he said, you never shut up. What a great story. Well, <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. It, it is. Now, when you got to Fulham and Bobby Robson was manager, at what point then did you suddenly become a striker? Well, yes, he signed me as a fullback from Tunbridge and I was playing in the reserves and a whole catalogue of injuries to forwards was taking place that as a forward went into the first team, he got injured. And it finished up, there was Frank Large, who was a right half, playing up front. And Bobby Robson was, was desperately short. He knew he needed somebody to play up front with Frank, who was a big lad and was a great target man, but was a bit on the slow side. And so he shoved me in. And we went to Oxford... And as it so happens, I scored two. Both were disallowed for other people being offside. Uh, we got beat and I went on. I scored five goals in five games. At the end of my sixth game, Bobby Robson was sacked. I was dropped and I never played again. Um, and so I was left as the club's top goal scorer playing in the reserves in the football combination where and I finished up scoring, I think it was something like about 34 goals and, and the combination level, I was the highest goal scorer there. But I was the highest goal scorer with Fulham and not playing, having only played six games until the last game of the season. Well, I tell you what, it was the start of something because when Bobby Robson was sacked, you moved on to Luton Town. Yes. And I think the name Harry Haslam comes into your well, story. Yes, because Harry was the manager at Tunbridge who signed me. And he used to play me up front in evening games and in the Kent Floodlit Cup and stuff like that. When Bobby Robson went to Ipswich, there was no room for Harry. And Harry went to Luton Town with Alex Stock. And Harry said to Alex Stock, they had just been promoted from the fourth division to the third. And Harry said... Have a look at the lad at Fulham. 
Um, he said uh, he will score you a lot of goals and he's very unhappy at Fulham. And so Alex Stock, he came down, they agreed a fee of, um, I think it was £17,500. And, um, and I, was, I was struggling financially. I was so unhappy at the club. I was really down. And Alex Stock came in and he was just like a breath of fresh air for me. He really was. You really hit the headlines in 1971. To Newcastle you went for £180,000, which I don't know what that would be today, but it would probably be somewhere like £180 million. Yes, it was actually £185. Only 21 Yes. We had played Cardiff on the, on the Wednesday. We had to beat them by two clear goals to go into the Watney Cup in place of them. And so out we went and we finished up beating them 3-0. I scored all three. And so... In the dressing room afterwards, there was no champagne. I got two cups and I took of tea and I took one over, gave it to Alex Stock. And I said, well, boss, at the beginning of the season, you gave me a target of 30. I said, well, I got that 30th goal with the first one tonight. I said, and then you told me about the one that I didn't get last season and that I owed you. I said, I got that with my second um, one. And, um, and I said, the third one, I said, well, the third one you can have for luck. He said, you'll be needing some luck where you're going, old son. Come and see me on Friday. I'll have some news for you. So I went into his office first thing Friday morning. He came in about an hour later, all of a dither, saying, right, old son, I've just come back from the Great Northern Hotel by King's Cross Station. He said, all the Newcastle people are down there for the cup final tomorrow. He said, and um, I've just done the deal. He said, it's £185,000. He said, now get yourself down there and screw them for every penny you can get. So off I went and I asked the reception where I could find the Newcastle party. And they said, go down to that corridor and they're in the lounge at the end. I'm going down the corridor and then all of a sudden the doorway in front filled with huge shoulders and I recognised Joe Harvey, the old number six of Newcastle United. And uh, um, I remember him lifting the, the FA Cup up in the 50s when I was a kid. And he's strode down the hallway and I've got my hand out and I said, uh, Mr. Harvey, I said, Alex Stock has asked me to come down and see you. I'm Malcolm McDonald. He's ignored my hand and he's gone, so you're the little so-and-so's just cost our club another £30,000. What do you think you were doing scoring a hat-trick in your last game? He said, we had it arranged at Easter, £155,000, he said. You score a hat-trick in the last game and your manager's been here early this morning and he's put the fee up £30,000 at ten grand a goal. And... I didn't know what to say at all because I didn't know any of that had, had happened. Albeit, I have to say, John, that he didn't complain, did Joe Harvey, about the next hat-trick I scored, which was... Ah. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about your home debut for Newcastle. Yeah, home debut. Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Come on, tell me what happened. Well, we had had a, a fairly poor start to the season. We got beat at Crystal Palace... In the first game, the second game was at Spurs and we drew nil-nil. That was a good away point. But now we were playing Liverpool and, and there were the three best sides probably in the country at the time were Liverpool, Leeds and Arsenal. And so we went out against uh, Liverpool 
And they scored first. Emmeline Hughes struck one from outside the box, smacked it in. And then my first goal was from the penalty spot. So I've knocked that one in. And then a bit later, that first half, Terry Hibbett, who was a new signing like myself, making his home debut as well, along with Paddy Howard. There were three of us. And, and Terry has knocked this delightful little pass through the inside left channel. And I've come around Larry Lloyd, who slid in. And um, I've gone beyond him and then smacked a cross shot right into the far top corner. And it was quite spectacular, was that one. And I've sort of run off to the corner flag, um, celebrating. All the players have come down. John, one of the lovely things in football happened. And it sort of, oh, it just warmed me totally to the Newcastle fans. As we started trotting back towards our half for the kickoff, the restart, um, all the cheering was subduing, but a song started. The hit musical um, then was Jesus Christ Superstar. And that title track, they started singing around, but they changed the words. And what they were singing as I was going back to our half was, Super Max, Superstar, how many goals have you scored so far? <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. The way they just picked it up was quite incredible. This is Motty Meats on Talk Sports with Malcolm McDonald. Now, a lot happened in that first season at Newcastle, Malcolm, 71-72, and, and, and part of it concerned myself because I got sent to St. James's Park for an FA Cup tie between yourselves, Newcastle United, First Division then, and Southern League Hereford. The upstarts from Hereford forced a 2-2 draw at Newcastle, so there was a replay down at their ground right, at Edgar you, Street. But do you remember the goals? Yes, Colin I do. Addison yes, scored Yes, I do one. remember Addo's goal. Yes, Damn I do. Me. It must have been all of 35 I know, yards. I know. It, it, was ama- it was amazing. And, but what was also amazing was the weather then turned viciously. Yes. And your replay at Hereford was postponed on a number of occasions. You were almost marooned down there, the Newcastle Yeah, team. we were staying in, in Worcester, um, in a hotel there. And, and from Worcester, we were travelling. We went to Derby and played a game. We went down to Southampton and played a game. We actually went up to St. James's Park and played a couple of games and then, and then went down to Worcester. And they were trying almost on a daily basis to get this game played. And it was um, postponed, postponed, postponed to such an extent that we actually played it on the day of the fourth round. Exactly, which was where I got very lucky because I was sent to do the replay and they thought, oh, this will be two minutes at the end of the programme. Newcastle will win 2-0. Well, I should start by saying, with eight minutes to go, it was 0-0 and Malcolm McDonald scored. Now Green. Busby. Three in the penalty area. McDonald coming in. That's it. Eight minutes from the end, Newcastle break the deadlock. It was a right-wing cross from Viv Busby, and he knocked it right across to the far post. Up I went, knocked it down, and the relief in, in all of us. I, I turned and looked upfield, and you could see all the players sort of wiping their brow and going, phew. You know, thank heavens for that, finally, because the keeper had been brilliant, the defenders were kicking it off the line. And we had hit the woodwork how many times, I don't know. But finally, it's gone in. And now we thought it was going to be fairly plain sailing in just putting this one to bed. 
But three minutes later, a, oh. fella, a fella called Ronnie Radford, dare I mention him? Ronnie Radford got the ball and turned. He was a tall, lanky fella and not very quick. And I was running straight at him and I thought, I'll get this. And, and then he shaped up to shoot and I just slackened off. And I thought, oh, go on, shoot. <laughs> You're 35 yards out, for heaven's sake. He has shot... And this ball just went on a slow rise with all the power in the world. And I looked directly behind the line of it and I just said in my head to Willie McFall, the goal, our goalkeeper, Willie, don't even bother going for that one. Oh, what a strike. It was worthy of, of Brazil in a World Cup final. Radford. Now Tudor's gone down for Newcastle. Radford again. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Radford, the scorer! Ronnie Radford! Ricky George then got the winner in extra time. That's right. Newcastle were knocked out the cup by a non-league team. Now, many, many times the story's been told about how Hereford quite rightly bust in their glory. But how humiliated did Newcastle feel? Horrendously so. It's one of those things, it just goes into the record books... And a programme called Match of the Day used to do a Saturday slot. And you knew on the first Saturday of January, every year, Ronnie Radford's goal would be shown. It just came back every year to haunt us and haunt us and haunt us. And I must tell you, I was approached by somebody from Hereford Football Club a few years back. And they, they said, we're going to be really cheeky, Mr McDonald. Would you come and do an after-dinner speech at our annual dinner? And I said, yeah, I'd be delighted to. And I went down there. We had the funniest, most brilliant night altogether. We really did. Well done. And something else very good happened to you at the end of that 71-72 season because you got called up for England by, I think, Alf Ramsey. Yeah, it was Alf Ramsey. Um, myself and Mick Shannon, uh, we had been playing together for some 15 months. I, I started to play alongside him when I was at Luton. So he and I, we were forging quite a partnership, scoring a fair amount of goals together. And Alf shifted us up. Now we were just 22 and we played at Cardiff against Wales in the home championships. And we beat them, I think it was 3-0. And I made a couple of goals and I, I made Rodney Marsh's goal. And wow, it was uh, uh, quite a... An experience was that. So you'd gone to a first division club, you'd become an England international, a lot had happened to you that year. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was what, all happening. It, I think it's fair to say, Malcolm, in your Newcastle career, in the league, they didn't really ever threaten to win the championship or pull up many trees. No, they but, didn't. But, but I want to take you on to the FA Cup in 1974 when you reached the final. But I want to talk to you first about a most unusual game, or something happened that was unusual, mm -hmm. the sixth-round game against Nottingham Forest. Mm -hmm. Now, as I remember, they led 3-1. Mm -hmm. You came back and won 4-3. But some people ran on the pitch. <laughs> now, I don't know whether this was the start You're of... You're being very polite well, I am with because, some people. Because, yes, it was I'm, a whole horde yes, of people. Because a Newcastle player had been hundreds. sent off, hadn't he? Paddy Howard yeah. had been sent off. Yeah. And Nottingham Forest, they were in the second division at the time. And to be fair, they really did play well that day. 
But we were just that bad. It was oh, it was absolutely appalling, and you could sense the frustration happening both on the pitch and off the pitch. And then when the third goal went in, Paddy Howard was sent off in the far corner of the Lees' end. All of a sudden, they started coming over the wall, and they kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And I said to um, to the centre half who who was stood near me, I said, if I were you, I would get down the tunnel as quick as you can. And the Nottingham Forest guys, they were, you could tell later that they were so upset inside by by all that had happened. They'd been absolutely shocked, rigid. That particular day, and I and I hesitate to say it was the first time we'd seen a, uh, I won't call it hooliganism, but 23 people were taken to hospital as a result of the mm-hmm. pitch invasion. Mm-hmm. Two had fractured skulls. 103 oh people received treatment at the ground, mm-hmm. and 39 were arrested. Yeah. So it it was a, a black day in some oh, ways. It now was, it was a tide of people. That's right. Really, but a tidal although, wave of people. Although Gordon Q had played on and you'd won 4-3, the match was declared void by the FA. Yes. The FA ordered the match to be played again. Yes. And it was played at Goodison Park and it ended in a nil-nil draw. So then there was an actual replay. And that yeah. took place also at Goodison Park. Right. Newcastle won 1-0 and guess yeah. who scored? Right. But the nonsensical thing about all of that was, John that Nottingham Forest never got a home game. Having drawn nil-nil at Goodison Park, we should have gone to the city ground to play the next game. And the FA deemed it that we should go to a neutral ground again. But it was a horrific thing to do to Nottingham Forest. And I, I still think it's one of the balmiest decisions I've ever witnessed from the FA, and there's been quite a few in my time. Well, thanks to your goal, that put Newcastle in the semi-final at Hillsborough. I was Mm. there, saw you beat Burnley 2-0, and you won't remember this, but you did what few players would do today. You came out the ground with the crowd still there, and you walked a few hundred yards to a little room above a shop, which is the only place that we could do the interview Mm. because the match wasn't a BBC game. And I interviewed you in your kit... Yeah, and of course yeah. you were on. <laughs> of course you were on your way to Wembley, weren't you? Yes, we were. But the amazing thing was that um, Burnley in the first half were brilliant. Goalkeeper William at full in our goal was absolutely brilliant. Some of the saves that he was pulling off, coming for crosses, uh, he was the busiest man on the pitch without any shadow of a doubt. But of course, in the second half. All of a sudden, two breakaways, one was a pass from Terry Hibbert, the other a pass from Terry McDermott, and I've, and I've knocked both of those in, and I've sort of finished up, because of that man of the match, the real hero of it all was William McFall in goal, because he kept us in the game. McDonald, and he was fouled there, but he's still going on. Fine save, Stevenson. Still McDonald, and he's got it. Newcastle in front, and Malcolm McDonald, the scorer. Now it's Hibbert, and McDonald's made a run through the middle, and he might be too quick for them again. McDonald against Thompson, and that's the second one for McDonald and for Newcastle. And then it was Liverpool in the final, yeah. and in true Supermax style, you threatened them with what you were going to do to them and all <laughs> the rest of it. Now, something went wrong that day, uh, Malcolm. Yeah, Newcastle it... didn't really turn up, did they? No. Now, what happened was, all through the season, we had been playing with a right winger, Stuart Barraclough. 
we used to play 4-4-2 when the opposition had the ball, with Stuart dropping back to wide right on the, in the midfield. As soon as we got possession, he would move forward and we would become 4-3-3, playing with an, with an outside right. And he was quick and very effective there. I loved the crosses that he would just smack across. They came across like shots. And that's how we played all the way through the season. Keith Birkinshaw, who was the coach, he was having a dispute with a board of directors over a new contract and was getting nowhere with them, was getting very frustrated, dreadfully unhappy, and he sort of threatened Joe Harvey that he was going to just go away and uh, uh, he couldn't take any more of this ridiculous situation um, over a contract. And, um, and so Keith Birkinshaw, the coach, was sort of threatening to walk out. And I, I understood his point of view. And so Joe, he sort of, to try to appease Berkey, he said, look, I'll tell you what, he said, you take control. You make the decisions. You pick the team. And, and Joe, I think he did that thinking that the team that had got to Wembley was the obvious team to pick. But Berkey made a change. And what he did was he brought in a midfield player, left Stuart Barraclough out and played a very tight mid-four. Very narrow and tight. Now, Alec Lindsay, the Liverpool left back, was so slow that he, that he was actually going backwards most of the time. And he must have been terrified at the prospect of meeting Stuart Barraclough, um, who could catch pigeons. And he's arrived at Wembley, seen the team sheet. Whoa, no Barraclough. And all of a sudden, his confidence has gone sky high. And playing this tight mid-four, Alec Lindsay just started charging down the left wing and had all the room in the world. Um, and he and Steve Highway just, oh, it was their birthday. But the irony is that in the first half, Liverpool were awful. Newcastle were equally bad. And as we were walking off, I said to Frank Clark, our left back, I said, Clarky, I said, there is no way we can play as bad as that in the second half. He said, I certainly hope not. Well, we didn't play as bad as that. We played worse, a lot worse. And, um, and we just couldn't get the, anything together at all. We were playing such a narrow four and Liverpool were pulling us apart all over the place. And it was all because there was a bit of a contract dispute going on, you know, it's, it, and it's quite pathetic, really. But that's how things were at Newcastle. You know, stupid little niggly things could upset the whole process. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Motty Meats on Talk Sports with Malcolm McDonald. Other things were happening in your career because the England manager had changed. It was no longer Alf Ramsey who had given you your debut. Mm. It was Don Revy. Yeah. And I believe he, um, he recalled you for a friendly against Germany in March 1975 and you scored in a 2-0 win. Yes. But better yeah. than that, <laughs> shortly afterwards, mm. Cyprus came to Wembley in a European Championship qualifier and you set an England record... 5-0 to England, McDonald 5. Yeah. Um, when Revy called me in, he had had three games already, but I'd been excluded from the squad. There was huge clamour on the back pages of most of the newspapers um, that England needed goals, they needed a goal scorer, and that I was the top goal scorer in the country at the time and had been for a while. And, and so my name was sort of top of the list. And so... For the Germany game, I was called up and his first words to me were, I don't want you here. You've been foisted upon me by the press. And as far as I'm concerned, he said, if you don't score on Wednesday night, I'll never pick you again. And I thought, well, at least I know I'm playing. (laughs) I didn't have to wait until the team was announced. He had told me that I was going to play. And so... I'm playing against the world champions in their first game as world champions. And out we went. Um, and in the middle of the first half, Colin Bell scored a super goal from about 12 yards. It had been a great build-up. And we really took control of the game. You know, we're playing the world champions and we are giving them a footballing lesson. Oh, it was, it was so wonderful to take part. And then with about 15 minutes to go... Mick Shannon had been fouled sort of inside right around the corner of the box. And as he was getting up, Alan Ball made a little overlap around the outside of him. And Mick nudged the ball with his knee. And Alan Ball just took it on, crossed it over. I was on the far post and the the cross had evaded the Setmeyer goalkeeper and Beckenbauer and Bertie Votes. And there was me on the far post. I nodded it in. And that made it 2-0. And what a victory it was. We were in the dressing room afterwards and all congratulating each other because it was a, a fantastic result and performance. Don Revy walks in, goes across the dressing room, shakes hands with Peter Shilton, the goalkeeper. He says, well played, Peter. Then he goes, well played, Colin, Colin Todd. Well played, David, David Nish. And well played to the four, the five, the six the seven, he got to Mick Shannon at eight, shook hands with him and said, well played, Mick, 
walked past me, shook hands with the 10 and the 11 and walked out the door. And I thought, oh, I don't believe this. And, and, and Bawley, um, I could see he had spotted it. And so it was then onto the Cyprus game. We reported. I went to the room where Revy and his entourage were and I said, about McDonald reporting, no injuries from the game yesterday. He said, the same applies as last time. If you don't score, I'll never pick you again. I mentioned it to Borley. Borley said, you leave it with me. <laughs> In his little high-pitched voice as he, as he did. And so it left it with him. We had a team meeting after lunch before getting on the bus to go to Wembley. Uh, and as we were trooping out of, of the team meeting, Borley, he sort of gestured to myself and then to Mick Shannon and then to um, Alan Hudson. He said, over here, lads. And he told the other two, Mick Shannon and Alan Hudson, what Revy had been doing to me. And they went, oh, dear, that's a bit strong. He said, right, he said, now, listen carefully. He said, do you know what the goal-scoring record for England is? And I went, no, I haven't got a clue. He said, well, a player, I forget now his name, in 1938 over at Windsor Park. Willie Hall. Willie Hall. Thank you, John. Um, he scored five against Northern Ireland. And so tonight, this man pointing to me is going to score six. And the three of us, we're going to make them for him. Are you up for it? And they went, yeah, let's go for it. And so I've gone out and I've got these three fantastic footballers all with tunnel vision to, to make me goals in this game. So we've gone out. Alan Hudson's not the first one in. I've pushed Dave Watson, the centre-half, out the way. He got me head to it. And that one's gone in. And Bawley's come running across. He's gone, that's your first one. Five more to go. The second one went in, and he's come across. That's your second. Four more to go. In the second half, soon after half-time, um, I've knocked a third one in. And he's come across, he said, that's your first hat-trick. Now you go for your second hat-trick. Knocked a fourth one in. I've knocked the fifth one in. And he's gone, you've got the Wembley record. You've equaled the all-time record. He said, now you go for the outright record. And so, as it happens, I did score again. But it was disallowed for somebody else being offside. And then the final whistle went. And... There was an electronic scoreboard and it said, congratulations, Supermac 5, Cyprus 0. And I just stood there and I thought, here I am, a lad born in West London who has spent his life dreaming of this very moment scoring at Wembley. I thought, wow, that's really clinched it up there. And I looked around, and there he was, Don Revy, in his trench coat, hunched shoulders, hands in his pockets, walking round the track. And I'm screaming across the pitch, read that and weep. Read that and weep, Revy. But we got into the dressing room. In he came, well done, Peter, went all the way round, blanked me again, walked past, and do you know I never played at Wembley again for England? after that night well that's amazing I, I didn't know any of that but goodness me Malcolm you did actually play at Wembley again for Newcastle we'll come on to that in a moment but by now there was a change of manager at Newcastle Gordon Lee took over mm. and again 
Newcastle didn't figure prominently in the championship race, but mm-hmm. you did get to Wembley in the League Cup in final League of Cup 1976. Final, yeah. yeah, against Man City. Man City. Yeah, and it was a Newcastle fan who scored the winner against us. Dennis Stewart. Dennis Stewart, overhead kick. But going back to Gordon Lee, at the end of the previous season, I had arranged to go over to Johannesburg and play for a club there called Lusitano. And whilst I was there, Joe Harvey had been sacked, sadly. Big mistake. And the phone rang, and I picked it up, and I said, uh, I said hello. And uh, he said, hello, Mel. Uh, John Gibson here, who was writing for the Evening Chronicle. And he said, um, when? He said, I thought I'd just inform you of the news. I said, oh, yeah, what's that? He said, they've appointed the new man. I'll give you three guesses. I said, okay, Brian Clough. He said, no, not Cloughy. Second guess. I said, well, it's got to be Bobby Robson then. He said, no, it's not Bobby Robson either. I said, oh, please don't tell me it's Jackie Charlton. And he said, no, it's not Jack Charlton. I said, well, I give up then. Don't know. He said, they have just appointed Gordon Lee. I said, Gordon who? Never heard of him. The next day, on the back page of the Evening Chronicle, in the biggest, thickest black capitals you have ever seen in your life, it says, Gordon who? Question mark. And in smaller capitals, says Supermac from Johannesburg. <laughs> I was not the most popular player in the, at the camp. Well, maybe not. And, and maybe that had something to do with the fact that <laughs> we're moving on, Malcolm, because five years at St. James's Park, you'd become an icon on Tyneside. 138 goals in 257 games. But then came a move. A big fee. Malcolm McDonald goes to Arsenal. Yes, I had sensed for a long while through that season, Gordon Lee, he wanted a number of certain players out. He had already got rid of Terry Hibbett in a ghastly fashion, really was um, quite despicable. Um, And I had the feeling that I was next, which I was. Paddy Howard came after that, and so did one or two others. And knowing that it was going to happen, I felt that I had to try and maintain as much control as I possibly could, which I think I did. And the move that I fancied was Arsenal. It so worked out that they came in for me. And I went down by plane, chartered by Arsenal Football Club. So from Luton, I'd gone up in a Rolls Royce five years earlier. And... This time, I was leaving Newcastle in a plane. And uh, it doesn't sort of get much better than all of that. So, Terry Neal said, right, he said, leave us to finish the business off. And as soon as we've done that, we're then free to talk to you and discuss a contract. This was on a Friday. Nothing on the Saturday, nor on the Sunday. And I thought, well, for sure it'll happen on the Monday. Nothing. Tuesday, nothing. Wednesday, nothing. Thursday, nothing at all. And I'm sat there in this hotel thinking, what the hell's going on? And all of a sudden, just after lunch on that Friday, Terry Neal has, has come in and he said, look, we are so sorry, 
but we really felt it would have been improper to come and talk to you because Newcastle had been oh, up to all sorts of tricks. He said, but rather than go into all that detail, he said, get in the car, we're going to drive down to the chairman's house. And that was Sir Dennis Hill Wood. And he lived on the Surrey-Hampshire border. So there we were, um, late afternoon, and, and we went in, in through the house. Introductions were made, and I shook hands with uh, Sir Dennis. And he said, do sit down, sit down, please. So we all sat down around the table, and... And he said, right, he said, let me bring you up to speed, he says. Firstly, we offered £275,000 for you, and that was accepted by uh, the board at Newcastle. And then, he said, after the weekend, they came back to us and reneged on the deal. So I upped it to 300000 They agreed to that, and later in the week, they came back to me and said, not enough. And so he said, I've asked you to come here. He said, I would like to know from you, knowing that detail, what do you intend to do? I said, if I don't sign for Arsenal, I will go abroad. He said, that's fair enough. Thank you very much. And he's waved his hand and a butler has come out of the house with an old Bakelite telephone on a 200-yard lead and has plonked the telephone onto, onto the table in the, in, in the middle of this huge garden. And so Dennis Hillwood has picked the phone up, and what I noticed was that he dialed the number of Lord Westwood, the chairman of Newcastle, Lord Westwood's home. And so he said, Good afternoon, my lord. Sir Dennis Hillwood here, chairman of Arsenal, as you well know. I have been giving the subject of Malcolm MacDonald, a lot of thought. He said, now, my lord, I'm going to make you one final offer. And if it is accepted, I don't expect you to renege on it this time. My offer to you is exactly one third of a million pounds. You accept that, my lord, and you're not going to renege. Can I have your word on that? Thank you, my lord. Good day. And the phone went down. And he said, right you are, he said. The deal is done. They will not backtrack now. This is Motty Meats on Talk Sport with Malcolm McDonald. Early on in your spell with Arsenal, who should come to Highbury but Newcastle United? I commentated on the game. 5-3, and of course, Malcolm McDonald scored a hat-trick. Now, if I remember rightly, John, it was a very, very cold and icy weekend. Was that? I think it was the only first division game that was played that weekend. So yeah, Newcastle came to town and they played ever so well, but we started knocking goals in and Alan Ball, bless him, he, he was stirring everybody up because Gordon Lee had, he had, he had said a few things through the week. So on the Saturday, uh, we're all gathered in the dressing room ready to get ourselves stripped. And he has slammed on the notice board a big newspaper article in the sun. And it was Gordon Lee, uh, having a right pop at me and therefore having a pop at Arsenal. And, and Bawley put it up there and he said, read that. Read it, every one of you, and let's get the so-and-sos out there. And he got everybody really wound up and we finished up winning because uh, it, it went, if, if I remember rightly, 1-0 to Newcastle, 1-1 one to Arsenal, 3-1 um, to Arsenal, 4-1 to Arsenal, 
And then Newcastle got two goals back and were really going well at that stage. And then um, just near the death, uh, Frank Stapleton, he turned inside right, just outside the box, and he hit a shot and it was going wide. And over that season, I got to know Frank so well that I could just tell by his body shape where his shot would go and I could see that he was going to pull it wide. So... I nipped in far post, just tapped it in, and there's this wonderful shot on the uh, match of the day uh, clips of Frank turning round and just throwing his arms up in despair that, that I had read his miss yet again, and he was sick and tired of making me goals. His missed shots were getting me goals all the time. It's come to Alan Ball. McDonald getting up! That's the one he wanted, and how well he put it away. That's not a bad ball from Ross either to Armstrong. Stapleton's on the far side, so is McDonald. Stapleton, McDonald's! Armstrong, Matthews is the player in the middle. Had to check to stop being offside, here comes Ross. Stapleton on the near post. McDonald's! seems to write the football stories better than boys' fiction, has gone and done it all over again. A hat-trick against his old club, the first time he's met them since joining Arsenal. You got a hat-trick. Yeah, and we won 5-3. Well, in 1978, you were back at Wembley, Malcolm. I mean, Arsenal were in the FA Cup final against Ipswich Town, ironically managed by Bobby Robson, the man who almost got your football career off the ground. Uh, now, what happened that day? Arsenal froze. Well, um, yes, we had a number of injuries, but it was decided that the players would all play with them. Um, I had a situation, I had a, um, a torn cartilage, which I'd been playing with for about three months, uh, and it was just getting worse and worse, and my knee kept locking. Liam Brady was carrying an injury. Anyway, I'm, but I'm not making an excuse at all, because Ipswich came out. They were brilliant on that day they were absolutely brilliant they won one nil they could have won five they really could they were absolutely super um, and of course they um, Arsenal went and bought Noddy Talbot who had played that yes. day and, and well he had just oh dear he never stopped for 90 minutes up and down dear me now the following season wasn't so good Malcolm you sustained a serious knee injury and I think it's fair to say you never really recovered, did you? No. Um, well, it wasn't that serious at the time. Um, all, all I did was just tear a cartilage. And so I had the operation. The problems came after that, that when they put the plaster cast on, they slightly crook the leg. There's a very slight bend in it. They put the plaster cast on. And then when they took it off, you then have to work at straightening it and just steadily working the bend. And I was coming on well with the bend, but I couldn't straighten it. And I, I was saying to them, there is something in there that is stopping me from getting it any straighter than it is. So they did all sorts of x-rays on me and, and what have you, and they couldn't find anything. And I'm 
getting myself fit, but my leg is bent, won't straighten, so there was no way that I could play. I couldn't take part in training, and it was getting very frustrating to the point that Arsenal, they were semi-accusing me, the medical people, that it was in my head, not in my knee. And I said, I'm telling you, it's not in my head. It is there, something in there. Anyway, this went on for ages. And finally, they said, now, we have just discovered a new machine that's come over from America. There's only one, and it's um, in Harley Street. So I went off to Harley Street, and just on one of the pictures, he said, now, what's that? And there was the tiniest, tiniest little white spot. And he said, well, that shouldn't be there. And he said, right, he said, that's worth further investigation. So I said, oh, right, okay. Uh, you think that you've spotted something? He said, oh, yes, yes. Got back to Highbury, so at least we, there was a glimmer of hope. The problem was that I had had two operations already. When you have a third back then, there's so much trauma sets into the joint that you can't really get it back to how it should be. And it was the end of the season. I played one more game, which was after the cup final when they, they'd beaten Man United. Um, and then there was a, a one league game. I played against Chelsea and I scored. So I scored in my last game, thank heavens. Um, but I didn't know it was my last game at the time. I went out to Sweden and played through the summer there. But I was lasting sort of five minutes less each game. Yeah, yeah. And I realised I just wasn't able to, to do it anymore. So I, I got back to Arsenal and I said, look, I really, really am unable to do it. Uh, and it was, and I, I retired. I've never felt so lonely, John. No. It's when I walked out the doors mm. at Arsenal and, and looked left and right up and down Avenal Road yeah. and thought, where do I go now? Well, you were hardly 30, were you? I mean, 29. 29. Yeah. Now, your football career didn't end there because you became a manager at Fulham. At Fulham, Successfully yes. got the, the promotion. Mm, the following year. And uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I never thought I, I could enjoy management. Bobby Campbell had been sacked and Ernie Clay approached me and he said, do you want to apply for this job? I said, I'm very tempted. He said, well, if you do, you've got it. So I said, okay, thank you, I will apply. So I did, and I got it. And I went in, and what I found was there was a lot of long faces. There was no joy or happiness in the dressing room. Um, there were a few kids who, who didn't even come in, apprentices. Um, and, and I said, well, what, where are they? And, well, they're too scared to come in. And that was the situation that it was in. And so I got Roger Thompson Remember to join him. me from, of mine, from yeah. Arsenal, yes, who had, who had been the, um, the youth team coach at Arsenal. And I knew that he was going to America in the, in the following summer. So there was six months before he went. And, and I said, come on, Rog. I said, you're great at getting in the dressing room and, and really getting everybody into a good mental frame. And, and he went in, and he was brilliant, was Roger. And I, I, I could never thank him enough. And all the players loved him. And we pulled away from the relegation area. We started to go up the third division. And the following season, my first full season, Roger had left, and we got promotion to the uh, second division. And 
almost got promoted that following first. season, yeah. yeah. Almost. I remember that. That was a, a game that, at Derby, was it? That's right. Where the crowd were over the touchline. And For the last 15, yeah. 20 minutes, yeah. they were encroaching yeah. 10 yards yeah. um, on, e on each side. Um, and I remember Robert Wilson um, had the ball on the left wing or sort of 10 yards from the um, in, into the pitch. Um, and he was by the crowd. And somebody from the crowd came out and... and and kicked him on the thigh. All that conspired against Fulham getting mm. a second consecutive promotion. Yes. Now, we've had a fantastic talk today about a great career. People are going to say to me, what's Malcolm McDonald been doing for the last however many years? You, you, you did local radio in Newcastle for a long time. I did, yes. It, it, was, uh, it was regional um, for the whole of the northeast. Um, and and so that included had three big clubs in uh, Newcastle, Sunderland, and Middlesbrough. And so what they devised as the program was that each club should have a representative. And so I obviously for Newcastle United. Then Sunderland was Eric Gates, and Middlesbrough was Bernie Slavin. And the Mickey taking that started to happen, and it just went on for years. It was so funny, John. Malcolm, I must say at the end of this interview, you're looking terribly well. Have, 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 you, have you been through some ups and downs since you finished with football? Or? Oh, I think, yes. Yeah, I've had my ups and downs. Um, uh, um, I, I think we all have those. Um, I had a bit of a health scare a couple of years back. Um, and terrific um, medical people, they got that sorted out for me, and, I'm, and I feel absolutely brilliant now. So, uh, uh, and, uh, and I feel in the pink and thoroughly enjoying life and uh, get myself along to Newcastle uh, as much as possible, uh, St. James Park, and, and see them play and, and, uh, and get down to Borough as well now and again. Well, I'm sure you're made very welcome. You certainly deserve to be. You're a hero up there. You're one of my heroes too, which is why I've been so thrilled that you've been in this show and this series of mine. Malcolm McDonald, it's been an absolute pleasure. John, thank you. thank you so much indeed. And I would just add finally that uh, you should say thank you to all the Newcastle team for sending you on to such a successful career. <laughs> well said, Hereford and all. Thank you, Malcolm. The undisputed world heavyweight champion of football commentators in another knockout interview. Motty Meats on Talk Sport. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>